noticing uh, at the time that I first gave this talk to the worship team, I had been noticing that especially since COVID, um, we were having a really hard time as a team getting back into our normal rhythm and finding our sense of motivation and purpose in what we did. And from what I can see that this is not just a problem that is limited to worship teams. This is happening to a lot of us at our, you know, in our homes, in our jobs, um, and most especially in our churches. For Lake, as in most churches, there are people who still haven't come back to worship with us in person for a variety of reasons. Some people just can't come back to worship with us in person, uh, and we're sorry for that. There are people who used to serve alongside us that no longer do for a variety of reasons. And those that are still here, still putting in their time and their effort in the ministries here, may be feeling some of the extra weight and pressure of those absences, as my worship team was. Um, all of us are navigating some enormous challenges at home and at work. And as parents wrestling with changes to schooling and the new role of technology in our kids' lives, um, David and I talk about that one quite a bit, and, and we are left feeling thinner and thinner. And it may sound ridiculous to say on the face of it, but as I thought about it, I think that this feeling and this problem is not just due to changing circumstances. I think it's also a worship problem. And I'll explain why in a little bit. So what I shared with my team was not intended only to challenge them, but even more to inspire and encourage them, as I hope it will do for you guys. Being on the worship team can be challenging and time-consuming work, and all ministries are. But the challenges of every ministry are, are fairly unique, and this ministry is, is no different. There are unique challenges, and these these guys, for example, they all practice at home and in their cars while they're driving um, with every new song that we learn, every te new technique that they have to use. Um, it takes a lot of practice, not just here, but also at home. And the result of all that effort is that they play and they sing well, but almost never at the level that they wish they could play at. Never at the level, and this is, this is, this goes on for me, this goes on for all of them. Almost never at the level that we wish we were playing at or singing at. And the band hears from you guys when they do a good job. And we are so thankful for that. But as with all worship teams, they probably hear even more often when things don't quite sound right. Um, even when they're fe feeling really good about things sometimes. Sometimes especially when they're feeling really good about things. So you can understand why worship team members can struggle with feeling that despite their hard work and their best efforts, they're always just kind of failing a little bit. They work tirelessly to be less bad, uh, but often wrestle with a frustrating sense that they're never really good at what they do. And this is common. So before I get into things this morning, I just want to take a moment and brag on these guys. And I've never done this in the 10 years that I've been here, um, but they deserve to be recognized at least once, and you guys deserve to know some of this stuff about them. Everyone knows Beth, she's over there, everyone knows the Beth's, about how beautiful Beth's singing voice is and the harmonies that she sings, um, but do you know that she never used to play keyboard? It's been so long that she's been behind that keyboard, some of you may have forgotten she didn't used to be there. Um, she learned it. So that when Becky moved over to the piano to fill in Todd Meislin's shoes, that there wouldn't be a, a hole in our, our worship team, in, our, in the sound. And, uh, and you might also see her up there occasionally with a shaker in her hand. Or a, it, around Christmas time, it might be a jingle stick or something. And uh, you have no idea how difficult it can be I mean, a lot of people can't even sing and do a shaker at the same time. And now you've got Beth, who's singing and doing shaker and playing keyboard at the same time. That's pretty stinking hard. And she does an amazing job at it. Becky has been playing piano for years and years before we came here. 
Um, but she really took on a huge challenge in trying to fill Todd Meislin's shoes when he left. And I've been really proud of how she's done at that. She still, you know, she works so hard, practices so much um, to master every little advanced lick. She'll take, she'll take drives occasionally out to go and see Todd and train with him, get, get more kind of pointers and lessons. And, and she goes to a lot of effort to, to be able to play at the level that she does for you guys. And not to mention the practice she just puts in to be able to sing as well as she does while she's playing this more advanced stuff. I, there's no way I could do what she does. Steve over here, Steve West, who stands over on the other end, he's the master of harmonies around here. A lot of our vocal harmonic ideas come from him, and it's because of his skills on acoustic guitar that I was able to learn the electric guitar. I never used to play that before I came to Lake, and uh, so we're blessed to have Steve on acoustic. And, uh, and he puts in, the time that he puts in with us in rehearsal is no small sacrifice for him if you know how busy that guy is at his normal job into the wee hours of the night on a lot of days. Brian Bustamante, who plays bass for us, um, him and his family are here um, this morning. Um, it's unfortunate that today is actually his last Sunday with us because as, as Pastor Jim announced a while back, he's, he's moving to Oklahoma uh, for work. And uh, so we are super bummed and uh, we're going to miss him terribly. But do you know that when he came to play for us, um, he came to play even though he already had a home church somewhere else and uh, continues to attend the other church, but he's here every Sunday. And uh, and he he hadn't picked up a bass in years and yet he jumped at the chance to come and play with us. And oftentimes, if we bring in outside people from other churches or elsewhere in Portland, bring in outside people, we, we have to pay those people to get them to come and play for us. Brian refused to be paid. He's been such a huge blessing to this church. Um, but I'll close up this, this portion of it by saying that the person on our team that probably deserves a whole lot more recognition than he gets usually is Matt Simpson because there has never been a more humble and reliable servant than that guy. And if you aren't a drummer or you haven't played at least in a band before, um, you may have no idea how hard what he, it, what he does is. Um, to be able to play with the energy that he does and yet hit each drum and cymbal with just the right amount of force so that you guys all hear it well, but it's not too loud. Most drummers have to sit inside a plexiglass cage with a, with a, a lid over the top of it because they just can't keep themselves from wailing on those drums. The precision of his touch and how tasteful everything he plays is, people often just don't realize how much skill and restraint that takes. And it's, it's pretty incredible, and we are so blessed to have him. And likewise, our other drummers, um, Dan Lacey and Paula Whetstone, um, Dan has been content to come in whenever we need him and whenever Matt can't be here and so on, and he brings his A-game. And uh, he's been a lifesaver many times. And it's not easy to come in sporadically like he does and still learn the new songs that we're doing. Um, but he does it. And Paula, um, I've, I've never seen somebody doggedly pursue a ministry as she has. Um, she has put in so much time relearning the drums. She hasn't played in, in years and years she spent so much time relearning the drums. You might be tempted to think that somebody who wants that badly to play on worship team might be doing it because they love the spotlight and, and all of that, but it's precisely the opposite with Paula. She practiced for, I think, at least over a year before she played with us even the first time. And, uh, and she's actually going to play with us again next week. So it's been, uh, it's been wonderful to just watch that transformation as she's put in that hard work. But I also don't want to forget about the guys upstairs. I promise this won't take too long. Um, Don Johnson, as many of you already know, he does lights for us every week, but that guy is a workhorse. 
and you wouldn't believe how much of a workhorse you have to be to do, to take care of, manage these lights. Um, and he is so selfless with his time. It's crazy. The new, the new lights that we have up here um, took a really long time to get installed and set up just right. And, uh, and he had to do almost all of it himself. I, uh, I helped him as much as I could, but the rest of the time he was on his own. Because I mean, whatever people used to help out with lights, they've kind of mostly moved on or they've gone. Um, and so he's had to do it all himself. But the, the product that he has delivered for us is just awesome. Um, and he does it so cheerfully. And, uh, and Ray Bays and Frank Anderson, these are the guys who have been working tirelessly on sound for the last few years. Um, and they took on a new sound system uh, that, and, and really have made it sing, so to speak. Um, and even though they're not pros at this, they have courageously jumped in and learned everything that they could so that things would run as smoothly as they do. And it can take countless hours, and that job can be fraught with frustration, but they have done a fantastic job. And Ray, in particular, the last few weeks has really uh, come through for us uh, the last few weeks in a row. And before them, you know, Carl Redman and Mike Dollar, they were the heroes that were up there making Sunday services happen um, and making the music happen. Don Adams is another one of the unsung servants around here who, who sets up the stage for us most weeks and, uh, and does a variety of different tasks for the guys upstairs so that everybody is able to just do their jobs pretty efficiently. And, uh, and so he has been a real blessing to both the team down here and the team up there. Um, then there's Tanner and Braden Graff. Uh, these are more recent uh, guys who started helping out upstairs. And uh, these young guys, um, I don't think I've seen two more servant-hearted and consistently reliable young men. And uh, they've both mastered running the software that we use for our slides, for the, the songs, as well as the sermon. Um, and then the entire system of programs and devices and things that we've got going in order to live stream the service. And if any of you have actually ever watched our services online, you know, you know what a good job they're doing. Um, I also have to just brag on my son, Eli, for a second, too. He... Uh, <clears throat> Um, he has been single-minded about learning everything he can to help upstairs. Um, so he now knows how to run the lights when Don Johnson is, is absent. And he knows how to run the, the, the slides computer. Um, and he knows how to run the live stream if any of those other guys are absent. And in fact, recently at the Women's Summit, um, he was here running both the lights and the slides at the same time by himself all day long on Saturday. And, uh, and you would never have known it wasn't two adults up there. He did such a great job. And so, and now he wants to learn sound. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm so proud of him and impressed. Um, all of these guys are such an inspiration to me. And I couldn't be prouder of the team of men and women that God has provided to this ministry to make all of these things happen. Can we just give them a big thank you? <clears throat> and here's the other thing they they never asked for that applause they never asked for it um and that more than anything shows me where their hearts are and uh, they don't do this for applause they do it for the lord and that is the thing that really makes me grateful for these guys my wife and i have been here at lake for almost 10 years now 10 years this august um, but we've been leading worship for about 22 years. Um, about 19 of those years we've been leading worship together. And in that time, we've seen more than a few people in worship ministry that have been doing it for the wrong reasons. Happens a lot. Um, maybe, maybe those people were looking for kudos. They enjoy the spotlight. Worship ministry is a little bit unique in that because... Um, you know, you don't become a, a nursery worker or a children's ministry volunteer because you love the spotlight. Um, but in, you know, that's a big temptation for people in worship ministry. Um, 
or maybe maybe people might serve up here out of a sense of of christian duty that happens um, or they serve because they love ministering to people and those don't sound like bad things and in the right context, they're not. But I want to tell you this morning that God is not looking for merely dutiful Christians. And ministry to people cannot be the focus of our effort. And this is where I want to challenge you and encourage you this morning. And I want to do that by introducing a concept that is merely mentioned in Acts chapter 13, um, which is where we'll begin. But then I just want to unpack the concept from there. Um, so now the book of Acts is a historical account um, of the fulfillment of the Great Commission by Jesus. He charged the apostles with preaching the gospel first in Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, the rest of the world. And so as we read through Acts, the first seven chapters essentially uh, account for us the establishment of the church in Jerusalem. And then chapters 8 through 12 deal with the, uh, the, the spread of the gospel from there to Judea and Samaria. So, but then when we get to chapter 13, where our, our passage is this morning, so far in Acts, the gospel has mainly been taken to only Jews and Samaritans. But now in chapter 13, we start the last section where it's about to be taken out to the rest of the world, to the ends of the earth. And then it's there uh, that we find Barnabas and Paul, who in this passage is called Saul, um, and others gathered in Antioch, other Christians and teachers and prophets, it says. This is Antioch is a Greek city that was in Syria, which is part of the Roman Empire at this time. And it says in these first three verses of chapter 13, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. I like that. Oh, and Saul, by the way. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And I just want to focus on that phrase in verse 2 because that was the thing that caught my attention. What does that mean? Ministering to the Lord. What is that? If God is all-powerful and all-sufficient, how do we minister to him? There's no other information in this passage to tell us what their ministry to the Lord consisted of. The Greek word here is liturgio. Um, It's where we get the, the English word for liturgy, but it's the way we use that word in English. It's a poor um, it's a it's a poor representation for the Greek. And uh, liturgio in, in other translations is translated here as worship. <clears throat> um, and it certainly is worship. We're, we'll, we'll see that. Um, but worship is too broad a word. This is a more specific word than that. Um, ministered to or served is probably better because that would be more consistent with all the other uses of this Greek word everywhere else in Scripture. Um, this occurs... 15 times in the New Testament, um, and in every other instance, it refers to someone uh, ministering or serving somebody else. Romans 15, verses 26 and 27 is, is one example where Paul is writing and says about the church in Macedonia and Achaia, he says, they have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings or spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. This is service. They're ministering to them. They're not worshiping the Christians in Jerusalem. They're ministering to them. And that's the word being used here in Acts chapter 13. That they were ministering to the Lord, serving him. So if you were to also comb through the the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the the Greek translation that existed in Jesus' day, um, this same word, liturgio, appears over a hundred times in the Greek Old Testament. 
Um, and was almost always uh, used in connection with the priestly ministry in the temple or the tabernacle. So, okay. So, but what, what, is that, where, what does that leave, leave us with? What does that mean they were doing in Acts 13? What kinds of services were they performing? We don't know. And thank God that we don't. Um, I, I think that detail was left out on purpose because... Uh, knowing how we are as human beings, if we had known specifically what they were doing, it very well might be that we'd say, okay, that's what ministry to the Lord is and, and that only. Um, but when the reality is that whatever they might have been doing, um, anything that they might have been doing, if it was done firstly and primarily as an expression of worship and adoration and service to God, that's ministry to the Lord. And we see that concept fleshed out in other language all over the place. Colossians 3, I'll just give you a few examples. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever work you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11. As each one has received a special gift... Employ it in service to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who, who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 5 and 6, we see several commands to husbands and wives and children. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Finally, 1 Corinthians ten thirty one: Whether then you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All of these things, eating, drinking, serving, obeying, loving, submitting, working, all done as unto the Lord, as worship to him. All of it can be ministry to God. All of it can be worship. If in your heart you're doing it for him with a heartfelt sense of gratitude and praise for him, and we need to be continually gut-checking ourselves on that, asking, am I... Am I doing that? Do I approach this part of my life as a way to worship God, as an area in which I can honor him? Because when we lose sight of that primary purpose, that's when the body of Christ loses its momentum. That's when we as individuals lose our momentum and things start to fall apart. When you take your eyes off of worshiping God and whatever you're doing, often you may continue you know, ministering to his people, for example, or his church out of love and compassion for them. And that's great. But where does your love come from? It comes from God. When you're not overflowing from his presence, soon you might find that your love begins to run a little dry. Perhaps when you find inspiration, uh, perhaps at that point you find inspiration to keep going through um, some vision that you have for the church or for this ministry or an ambition to kind of see great things done. But eventually even inspiration and ambition will run dry if you're just running on your own steam. And before you know it, you're down to pushing yourself along simply out of, sense of, out of a sense of Christian duty. That you tell yourself, I got to keep at it because this is what a good Christian would do. And if you continue in that state for too long, you risk bitterness, you risk burnout, or even moral failure. It happens. And that decline can happen in our marriages, it can happen in our work, it can happen in parenting, and it can even happen in our service to one another, our ministries to one another. If we don't maintain our focus on worshiping God first and foremost in all of those areas. That is your truest purpose, which fulfills you like nothing else and sustains you like nothing else. And worship 
in all of these things is the surest way to set your foot on the path that he is laying out for you. But you might be saying, okay, doing all things as unto the Lord, as worship to the Lord, this is not a new concept. And it's not. But the language of Acts 13 really caught my attention when I, when I just ran across this passage. For some reason, this time it stood out to me. And, uh, and the language here describing this as ministry to God really uh, brought this old concept home for me in a fresh way and gave me a new handle on really the, the holiness of the things that we do. And it has the effect of allowing us to see all of our activity as more purposeful and less burdensome. And that is something I hope that you guys will take away from this. When we're engaged in worship to God, service is not so burdensome or tiring. If you are married, just think about those days when you have been most um, overflowing with adoration and, uh, and love for your spouse. On those days, anything that they might have needed from you would not have felt like a big deal to do for them. Anything, right? Um, and you would have blessed them. Um, any way that you could have blessed them, it would have been your pleasure on those days, at those times. And that's how it is with the Lord. When we serve Him with adoration, His presence can inspire us and strengthen us, and we can say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Do you remember Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10? How Martha was doing nearly all the preparations for this coming festival, and Mary wasn't helping at all. See, there's, there's Mary sitting at the Lord's feet. Go ahead and go to the next one. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all of the serving alone? Tell her to help me. And Jesus told her, you, have, <clears throat> you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the best thing, and that's not going to be taken from her. She was giving her attent full attention to Jesus. Mary was sitting in his presence, and that was better than all of the stuff that Martha was doing which kept her from Jesus. So as long as we are keeping Jesus, keeping the Lord in our sights, we can be like Mary, sitting at his feet and enjoying his presence and drinking him in. Even when we are doing work and ministering, we can be sitting at his feet as we do that. But when we become focused on doing and working and ministering, we all turn into Martha worried and bothered about many things was martha's motivation really so bad i mean probably not this was a woman that elsewhere demonstrated great faith and trust in jesus most likely she just saw things that needed doing and she did them we need people who do that she may have even been motivated to work so hard in order to bless her friends and her guests but it became such a focus that she had no time for Jesus. And that was what led to her becoming bitter. The believers in Acts 13 could have made the same mistake, right? They knew the Great Commission. They didn't need to be told it again, right? To take the gospel into all the world. They could have just seized upon, seized upon the command and said, okay, let's go. We'll figure out what to do on the way. And instead they did something better. They settled into serving him with their whole heart right there where they were. And, minister, and as they ministered to God, seeking his presence, it was once they were doing that, that God gave them direction on what to do and who to send. So all of this leads me to the first point that I want to give you, that I want to leave you with. And that is, ministry to the Lord sometimes requires stillness but it also moves us to service. 
Sometimes ministering to the Lord looks like sitting at his feet, soaking up his word and praising his name. But true worship won't leave us there. True worship will move us to serve him in deeds as well as words. We can't always be merry or nothing would ever get done. But we, can also, we, we cannot follow Martha's example or we will become bitter. The truth is that we all need to be people of service together, ministering to the Lord alongside one another so that each of us is free at times to be merry for a little while. It's probably no accident that immediately before the Mary and Martha story in, in Luke 10, Jesus was asked what must be done to inherit eternal life, and he answered by distilling the whole law of God into two commandments. And this is God's entire will for you and his will for his people. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. If we start with that first commandment, that second commandment will just flow out of us. We will be moved to love one another, to minister to one another, serve one another and alongside each other. And if we're not following through to serving and ministering to each other, we need to ask ourselves, are we really loving God? Because loving God will produce that in us. For too many people in America, church ministry today has gone the way of, of professional sports. A couple hundred years ago, sports were something that we did as a community. It was some, an activity that we did together, right? Now, for most of us, sports are something that we pay professionals to do while we watch. Church ministry and acts of service in too many churches has gone the same way. We either pay somebody to do it or we assume that somebody else will step up. And maybe somebody else will. But what if that somebody else begins stepping up to take on too much? They risk becoming a Martha with no time to be a Mary. All because we're content to be spectators. So we need to ask ourselves, what should I be doing? Should I be stepping up to do this or to do that? Where are you ministering to the Lord right now in your life? Where is your worship or your service to him? In your home? I hope it's there. I hope you're worshiping in your home. And if not there, take care of that right away. That's where you begin. But if you are serving the Lord in your home, what about outside your home? A heart full of worship to God will be looking for ways to honor him. Places to serve him, to edify his people, to encourage and sharpen one another, to reach the lost, and to move others to worship as you are doing. That is, what, that is what we try to do up here. When we sing or play songs on Sunday morning, it's actually not first and foremost to minister to you. Too many worship leaders make that mistake. It is to honor God and glorify and magnify his name from our own hearts up here. And in order to bring him as much glory as possible... We do everything that we can think of to help you join us and come along with us in that project. In that ministry to God. We pray over the songs that we choose and we take a lot of care in uh, choosing only songs that bring something of substance about the Lord. Um, as well as artistry to move our hearts to praise. Uh, many songs of substance we actually might reject uh, because the musical heart is just lacking from that song. A song of praise has to give you something musically to lift your heart into praise to the Lord, to, you know, to bring your emotions into line with what you know. That is why God commands us to sing new songs. He doesn't just want us reciting catechisms as great as those are. He wants worship from the heart and from the emotions, not just the mind. But truth and the mind is as important as emotion. And so there's a lot of songs that we don't play up here that, that are very moving musically because they may have incorrect theology 
or they're just lacking lyrical substance altogether. There's, I mean, the uh, Christian music industry is rife with those. Likewise, we go to great lengths to make the stage what it is. And it's not just to impress people or make you go ooh and ah. That's, that's worship. Centuries ago, churches used to be built with beauty and theology in mind. Huge cathedrals were constructed um, and designed with massively high ceilings and architectural symmetry and artwork that just went all the way up. And the effect of this was to lift the eyes of the worshiper up toward heaven and you would be confronted with these beautiful sights. And all of this created for the worshiper this sense that this is a sacred space. That this is a place was desi- that was designed for us to encounter God here. To draw near to God here. And the features of the space itself communicated the beauty and the grandeur and the magnificence and the holiness of the God that we were worshiping and communing with. In some ways it's, it's sad that most American churches aren't like that. Can't be like that, really. Uh, we have sacrificed much of that sense of the sacredness in our worship spaces in favor of spaces that are more humble and more practical and, frankly, affordable. Um, that's a big part of it. Um, here we are worshiping in a gym. This is a casual space. But our worship to God can't be casual. And so we, we try to do as much as we can up here so that when you guys walk in here and you stand in your, in your place in front of your seat and we worship the Lord, that if you look up here, your eye is drawn up and you're confronted with something, with something beautiful and it communicates the intentionality of what we are doing here. This, this isn't just a, a, a basketball court. This is a place where we intend to draw near to God and we want to display something of the, uh, the seriousness and the sacredness that we are bringing to that. And all of this is for him. And you benefit, but it's not for you. It is so that we may all minister to him body mind and soul together when we praise and that is what your purpose is and that is what you were made for and that is what we do in here in this room but also in the great room and also in the nursery and also in the small groups and also in the narthex all of these spaces we are to be ministering and worshiping god with the things that we are doing in them And this is where I want to challenge some of you and inspire and encourage the rest. Whatever whatever you do here is a sacred ministry to the Father through Jesus Christ. For those of you who've been pouring yourselves out as volunteers here, even if you're doing something seemingly mundane, like cleaning up or getting the donuts every other week, or is it every other week now? I don't remember. I know Pastor Jim especially uh, appreciates whoever gets the donuts. It's very important. Um, that is a service that you are doing unto God himself. He is honored and glorified and magnified by what you're doing. If you are doing it unto him. Don't be discouraged that what you're doing is seen or not. It is seen by him. And even the things that that may seem small to you are tremendously significant in his kingdom. Your faithfulness and even those little things is a crown upon your head. Even the things that nobody sees and especially the things that nobody sees. And for those who are currently um, more spectators than participants in the ministries being done around you, whether it's here or elsewhere, I just want to gently ask you to ask yourself, why is that? There may be very good reasons why why maybe you aren't involved, but you should at least have asked yourself the question and know before God whether or not there is a good answer. 
Some of you aren't involved as much here because you're pouring yourself out into some ministry outside these walls, and that's good, and he needs you there. That's where you should be. Some might not feel that they have much time to give in, within the, the ministry of the body here um, because their home life is a mess. And if that's the case, that's where you got to start. Unless you feel God calling you to do something now, and you'd have to really pray about that, first make sure that your family is walking with him as much as that is within your power. But for some of you, you may not have even thought about serving God anywhere um, or volunteering or doing anything. And I want those people to seriously consider it this morning. As we read earlier um, in, in 1 Peter 4, verse 10, <clears throat> the passage we, said, we saw earlier says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And that brings me to my final point this morning. You have been given skills and abilities and character traits, strengths, and those strengths have been given to you by God for a purpose, and that purpose is to use them in worship to Him. And part of that is using them in service to His people. One example of this that I like to point to is uh, Bezalel and Aholiab in, in Exodus chapter 31. God here is instructing Moses on what is to be done uh, to build the tab tabernacle where he is going to be worshipped, which would later be replaced by a temple, more permanent temple. And in chapter 31, God says, uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Oholiab, son of Ahasamach, um, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. And also I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. The tent of the meeting, the ark of the covenant of the law with the atonement cover on it, all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all of its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, the basin with its lampstand and also the woven garments, but this, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his son when they serve as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place they are to make them just as i commanded you did you know that sculpting and carpentry and stone cutting and metalworking and cloth weaving and oil making are skills that are given by god to be used in ministry and worship to him and to encourage and edify his people in their place of worship. I bet some of those skilled workers that God mentions in Exodus 31, I bet some of them could have said, okay, but I actually learned this trade from my dad while we were slaves in Egypt. But God says here, no, I gave them these skills. You learned these things because he wanted you to, to use it. The same is true for all of us. The same is true whether you're a financial expert or an administrator or an artist of any kind or teacher of children or a teacher of adults or just if you're just crafty, you know, if you're a scrapbooker, I'm sure there's something God could could do with you, some way that he can be glorified with the skills that he has given you. And so the question is, are you using that for him? Are you worshiping him with it? And if not, why not? Maybe you think that there's no need for the things that you can do. And that's just so wrong. There is a need. But you might have to pray to find it. You might have to talk to God's people to find it. If they knew what you could do, who knows where you could be used. There have been more than a few people in this church that have come and gone in our congregation um, that haven't that have had musical talent 
but didn't really care to use it up here. Um, and that's, that, that's kind of a shame. But how many more have come through and just never told anybody that they had this musical talent? Because they saw a full band up here and just thought, eh, they don't need me. They're covered. That's not at all the case. If you can, if you can play electric guitar, somebody out there, I, I want you. <laughs> Honestly, I want you. If you can play bass, um, we want you. Um, you know, you don't have to be a pro. You, you need to be good at your instrument, but you don't have to be a pro by any means. Uh, none of us are. If you can just hit the right note on bass and you're on, you've got the right tempo, you're on beat, you could be the Bezalel and the Aholiab of bass in this congregation. You know, similarly, if you're, if you're a crafty person and you look up here and you go, man, I, I could, I, I've got some ideas for what they could do up on that stage. Please, please come. I, I want you. If you, if you like techie stuff and you just want to learn new things, the guys upstairs need all kinds of help. They need to be merry sometimes so that they don't become Martha's. And now, not, not just anybody is going to be suited to serve God in this role or that role, but you are suited to serve Him somewhere, in some role. And He wants you to worship Him with that. And His body needs you. You created, you are created to worship God, to minister to the Lord. So where is your ministry? Where do you minister to Him? In private? Good. In your home and your family, that's awesome. In praise here in this room on Sunday mornings, I, I certainly hope so. At least in those places. But where else? Just consider that today. And if you have a ministry somewhere in this church or outside, thank you so, 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 so much for all that you're doing. Whatever it is, you're a blessing to God and his kingdom. And he is honored by your life and, and your heart and your calling to whatever it is you're doing. That's a holy calling. And your service is a beautiful offering to him. Just make sure that you continue to bring your offering in the spirit of Mary. Laying it at the feet of Jesus and taking the time where necessary to stop and refocus on him. That was also the spirit of the church at Antioch, ministering to God and waiting upon God and his guidance. And you who have been faithful to do that with a little, he may then use you to do more. And as we, his people, begin to share that spirit of worship through service throughout the whole body, the church will be enabled and strengthened to do vastly more than any human visionary would dare to hope. And that is my encouragement for everyone in this room and listening online this morning. God has given so much to us and has equipped you to worship him in deed as well as word. So let's look to find the areas where we can minister to God. And in so doing, he will guide us and strengthen us in greater ways than we would otherwise know. And if you're listening to this, though, this I'll close with this. If you're listening to this and feeling like you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, and that maybe you've heard about Jesus, but I'm talking about him like we all know him, and we all walk with him, and he's alive right now, and he's a part of our lives. That's exactly what I'm saying. Jesus was God is God who became a man to take the penalty of your sin to wipe your slate clean before God so that you would know him personally as a loving father and as your creator. He created you to know him and he sent Jesus to make a way for that. But he won't force you. He offers forgiveness and a fresh start to you. All he asks is that you turn Back to him, repent and follow Jesus, 
and through Jesus, you will know him and find purpose and meaning and joy that only God can provide. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bring ourselves to you this morning, submitting ourselves to you. in worship, and in, uh, as living sacrifices. Lord, help us to be people who see the needs that you would call us to. See the people in our lives who you would have us minister to and have the courage and the... Uh, the conviction to step into those, those roles, to do your work, but to do it unto you, to do it as worship to you. And help us to be, to be people that do take the time to stop and ask ourselves, am I, am I doing this to the Lord as worship? Help that to be a question we ask ourselves daily. And as we do that, Lord, we pray that your, your name would be honored and glorified within each of our lives and within this church as it, as it never has been before. To a degree that, it has, that we haven't attained up until now. God, we just want to honor you. And we pray that, that you would help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> in closing this morning, I'm going to do a little switcheroo here. Okay, all right. In closing this morning, I can see why Pastor Jim has trouble with this thing sometimes. See, look at that. Of course, he doesn't have to wear in ears. All right. In closing this morning, in the spirit of that message, I just wanted to end with an old song, or it's it's old now, but uh, <clears throat> it's still a contemporary song, I guess. Um, that was written by Matt Redman, and uh, this was a song that he wrote uh, at a time when his church was having some worship problems where things were kind of happening by road. They were just going through the motions and everybody kind of knew it. And so his church and his worship team, they took like a month or three months off and, uh, and just decided, you know what, we're going to just worship God 